and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but have had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, the cool, because there's no other way to put it, as I tell her off the top of the show, Colleen Green, someone I'm a huge fan of, um, author, author, that's probably the wrong way to put it, <laughs> the musician behind the incredible record, Cool, uh, and uh, someone who's on uh, tour, and I'll get into all this in a second, and plus more. Stay tuned, this is a good one. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, gmail.com. That is run by my brother, who also runs an Instagram page and a Facebook page for this podcast, Tristan Abraham, and he is also the guest booker extraordinaire. And uh, as I said, the producer of this program, and he will get the message to me. This one I booked on my own, but normally he books the episodes. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for Damien to support the show. Please head over to turnedoutapunk.com and pick up a t-shirt. And thank you to people that have done that. I know it's been a struggle with some of the shipping some places, and I'm figuring it all out with the banking up here because I got it down in the States and all that kind of stuff, but it's all working now. So if you have picked up a shirt, thank you very much to everyone who has and to people that still pick them up. Thank you. Uh, or people that are going to pick them up. Thank you. Uh, you can also tell all your friends about it. That's a great way to support this podcast. If you, uh, subscribe to it or rate it on the platform that you're listening to it on, that would be great too. That would be great. I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. To find out more information, you can head over to fuckedup.cc. We will be going out on tour a few times during the summer, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, to uh, Europe, the east coast of the United States, the southwest of the United States, and and more. So check out over there for some dates near you. Hopefully, if you live in one of those places, we will be coming near you. If you don't, maybe in the future. Who knows? Who knows? All right. On to today's show. Today on the show, the incomparable, the amazing Colleen Green. Colleen Green is someone I've been a fan of for uh, uh, quite a few years, actually. I remember meeting her. We played in the UK at a, a very bizarre school festival way back when. And yeah, just someone who has constantly put out great records, kind of poppy punk stuff. Uh, her latest record, Cool, is a fantastic record that just, um, I don't know, it kind of defies genre to, to, to really kind of pigeonhole it. But it's all punk to us here, right, baby? It's all punk to us. It is available on Hardly Art Records. And as I said off the top, Colleen is on tour right now in the UK. Today, if you're listening to this show, the day it drops, Tuesday, June 21st, uh, Colleen will be playing in Edinburgh, Scotland at Sneaky Pete's. Then tomorrow at the uh, Clooney in Newcastle in the uh, in, in England. Then the Underworld in London on th- Thursday, June 23rd. A lot of great memories of that club. So I saw integrity there. I was actually just talking about that today, weirdly. Uh, on Friday, June 24th at... Oh, I apologize in advance for my pronunciation here. Uh, Ro... Royasin Daba in Galway, Ireland. Oh, terrible pronunciation. I apologize again for that. Uh, Saturday, June 25th at the Ulster Sports Club in Belfast, Ireland. And finishing off the tour 
on Sunday, June 26th at the Grand Social. Just played there myself in Dublin, Ireland. So check out Colleen Green at any and all of those tour dates. If you're, uh, if you're, if you're, you know, a Colleen Green deadhead, follow all those tour dates. Um, but check out the ones near you and check out and check out cool. Uh, in terms of notes, uh, I, I, I checked out the explosion. We talked about the explosion and I, I do believe they have nothing announced. They said they were going to be doing, announcing some stuff back in 2020. So hopefully soon there'll be some explosion stuff coming. Um, but I think that's the only note that I had uh, for this episode. So sit back, relax and enjoy Colleen Green on Turned Out a Punk. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Well, as I was telling you before this thing, I think your last record is like, there's really no other way to describe it other than cool. Like, I remember sending it to my wife being like, you got to check out this record. And she's like, what does it sound like? I'm like, it just sounds cool. Like, like there's no other really <laughs> adjective you can really apply to it. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Uh, I guess that was kind of the idea. Well, we're going to get to the new record, but we got to start off way back when. And Colleen, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? Um, yeah, I think I do. Um, if we're talking technical punk and uh, not waxing too poetic about it, I think it would have to be Green Day. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, I, I remember, uh, I was kind of young when, when Dookie came out. Um, I was in like fourth or fifth grade, I guess, but I remember my older cousins, um, getting like a Dookie poster for Christmas. And, um, I just remember like when that album came out, it was just everywhere. And like, I don't know, my older brother, like had it had the cd um i like i i don't remember really listening to it because i feel like anything that my older cousins liked i considered kind of untouchable and like almost like scary but um i remember like trying to learn the lyrics to songs on dookie on the bus to school i don't even i don't know why but i guess me, me and my friends thought it would be like cool if we it would make us cool or something if we knew the lyrics to this song that like older kids were listening to or something. Um, and I also remember seeing the video for Basket Case on MTV uh, because it was nominated for a, a video music award. And I remember it was the genre that it was or the category that it was nominated for was best alternative music video. And I just remember being like, what the fuck is that? Like, what does that mean? Um, but yeah, all Green Day later, definitely. All these years later, what does it even mean? Hey, whatever, whatever doesn't fit in regular rotation, I guess, could be in this alternative category. Yeah, I don't know what else. I, I wonder what else was in that category at the time. Um, probably like, I don't know, Offspring or something like that. But uh, yeah, I just remembered like, Seeing that, seeing that they were categorizing it as alternative and like identifying with that in some way and being like, I think, oh, I think like I'm alternative. Like that's, that's me. I like this. It's kind of interesting how there's like these different like blips that happen within popular culture where like 
punk almost breaks through to the surface and it's like that's like a great getting on point where it's like oh this band pops through and then everyone gets on be it nirvana or green day or blink later on you know or i guess my chemical romance later on like there's these moments where you kind of like it's an on-ramp for us kids yeah um yeah there have been uh, a few important cultural times when punk has kind of like popped up above the surface like a little turtle um i just read the no effects autobiography actually and they talk about that how like First, it was Nirvana and like Nirvana came out, Nevermind came out and everything changed and people started finding their CD in like the end section just because people were looking for Nirvana. And then like Green Day, like Dookie came out and like everything changed again. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I feel like it like, I don't know. I, I still remember when all the, the third wave ska stuff was happening and it was like all over MTV and that was really big for me. Um, and then I think a little while after that, which I feel like it happened with the strokes where like maybe, or like that was like all the garage bands happening, mm -hmm. all the, the blank bands happening on MTV. For me, MTV was pretty much just my introduction to everything. It's like from the earliest age. Yeah. Like <clears throat> I think growing up in Canada, having much music, there was a lot of like, MTV was just so exotic. You know, when I go to America on a vacation and be like, oh my gosh, we get to watch MTV and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. Because we, we have- It was bad. Well, but we had CanCon up here too. So we had a lot of artists that wouldn't get played in America at all. Like there were there were a lot of Canadian artists that I don't think made it across the border. For every Bare Naked Ladies, there's dozens and dozens <laughs> of I'm Mother Earths and Our Lady Peace. And I think those bands might've even had Buzzbin videos for a second on MTV, but- did not oh last. yeah yeah I, I remember our lady piece i don't i didn't don't know what that first band was that you mentioned but yeah i definitely remember our lady piece i mother earth and our lady piece were <laughs> very popular bands at the same time with eerily similar names in a weird way yeah same cadences i think that's the way it goes like you're saying people looking for uh nirvana in the end section finding no effects people just wanted the cadence and then they were like oh yeah, yeah. i mother earth our lady piece there we go <laughs> Works for me, yeah, especially when you're young. So when you said earlier, like, you know, if we're not being philosophical about it, what what was your first exposure to punk if you're if we're being a little more philosophical about it? Oh, well, when I think about it, I feel like all the all the groups that I liked leading up to that um were like kind of punk in their own ways. You know, yeah, if you want to like wax intellectual about about punk as like a philosophy. Um like before, but before, I mean, for me, uh, Sublime was like what cracked my entire world open. Um, and I discovered them in like 1996, whenever their self-titled album came out. But before that, I was listening to like TLC and like Boys to Men and stuff. Um, I mean, I don't know. I really liked Bush too i remember going to see them but um yeah like i just think tlc in their heyday had such a cool style and uh that's kind of i think um a lot of the the groups and bands that i really gravitated towards always had a very unique kind of like style and and vibe about them mm -hmm. 
you know, like bands that are breaking the trend or bucking the trend or doing something a little bit different. Um, yeah. It's weird with Sublime, too. Like, I, I didn't realize till you know, really recently that Paul Leary from the Butthole Surfers recorded a lot of that record and stuff. Like, I didn't thought until it was on the show. You know, I was, like, researching yeah. that. I'm like, oh, wow. this <laughs> Sublime record. Yeah, it's so cool. That's why, yeah, I saw that you had him on, and I was like, I got to listen to that because I wanted to hear the Sublime stories. Um, and then he's just like, oh, yeah, they, like, they would, like, go play, like, a round of golf. I was like... <laughs> Oh, come on. That's not juicy. I wanted to hear the drama. But when you're in the but... butthole servers, nothing's going to be juicy compared to like stalking yeah. Michael Stipe and, you know, setting stages on fire and wielding shotguns. That's true. Yeah. I think it's because. Yeah. I always assumed. Oh, sorry. No, go. go no, please go ahead. I uh, I assumed that um, Sublime must have been huge butthole surfers fans. And that's why they I was I was hoping he would get more into that, mm. like why he ended up. It's kind of sounded fluky the way he described it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Sublime had awesome influences. So I just assumed they were huge Butthole Surfers fans. Um, but it kind of didn't sound that way. No, I remember actually, like, I think the around that time they were on that punk rock jukebox compilation CD and they did uh, We're All Gonna Die for Our Own Arrogance. And it was yeah. awesome. The cover, I'm like, wow, yeah. this band... And then I, you know, bought a, a CD or something, and I was, they were they were kind of all over the map sonically. I think for for my taste at the time, which was definitely going in one direction, not one direction, but like you know, one direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What not like the boy band One Direction, but no, they came later. No. I didn't discover them till way later in life, you know. So I don't want to confuse the timeline. Yeah. Uh, so where? Yeah, for sure. Wh what was the first show you went to? Was it Bush? Yeah. Well, the the first like huge concert I. Um, went to was Bush with Veruca Salt opening. That's awesome. Veruca Salt was yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was. Them. Oh, me too. Yeah, and they they've stood the test of time for me. I went back and tried to listen to Razorblade Suitcase a couple years ago, and I was just like, "Holy shit! Like, I can't do this. This is bad." <laughs> um, I could probably get back into Sixteen Stone, but um, yeah, Razorblades. It was the Razorblade Suitcase tour. Okay, and yeah, me and my best friend were really into Bush at the time. Um, I had a Bush poster on my wall. I know that much, um, but I didn't know who Veruca Salt was. We just we were like, Gavin's so cute, like you know, like eleven years old or whatever. Um, he was like a teen idol at that point mm -hmm. in time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, seeing Veruca Salt, I was just like, that was kind of like one of the first times that I realized that girls could rock. Like I saw them rocking on stage and they were like, they looked like Kiss, like their outfits were super glam. They had like eight inch platform boots on and stuff. And they were just like headbanging. And I was like, whoa, like this is awesome. Um, and then I got really into Veruca Salt after that. Was that on like, because they had that one record that was huge that had all the singles. And I think it was the next record. They kind of went more glam kind of vibe too. Would that have been on that record? Um, they were touring on Eight Arms to Hold You. And that that album definitely had a lot of singles. Yeah. It had like Volcano Girls yeah, and yeah. Shutterbug. Yeah, they had a lot of hits. I guess so. Yeah. After that, I I just remember them like making the making the rounds on talk shows and stuff because I saw them first on Saturday Night Live. And then I saw them on uh the Rosie O'Donnell show, which I loved at the time i was a big rosie o'donnell fan same 
And it was weird seeing them on her show, but it was awesome. Her show was awesome because it was so positive. And it was at a time when there was like so much negative talk shows and her thing, like pre, you know, obviously the rise of Ellen. Now there was, I guess, in the fall of the Ellen show, but like during the rise of the Ellen show, pre all that stuff, Rosie O'Donnell had the first like great morning show that had like fun, posy energy and Veruca Salt. Yeah, it was super posy. And Veruca Salt, apparently. Um, I don't remember her having too many musical guests, but I remember that. But uh, yeah, Rosie O'Donnell would just be like, I have a pimple, like, let's zoom in on it. And I remember being like, oh my God, she's so real. I remember Donnie and Marie Osmond had Snoop Dogg on one time. And, and Donnie and Snoop Damn. looked like they were tight. Probably. <laughs> Probably hung out, you know. The, uh, yeah. Um, Snoop's everywhere, though. Yeah, this is pre him being as ubiquitous as he is today. I guess, like, we live in a post Snoop Dogg, Martha Stewart world. At the time, you know, this blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's like, it's all yeah. fair game. So, where'd you kind of go uh, music taste wise from, you know, getting into the punk stuff? Like, were you replaying music already yourself? Um, I didn't really start playing music until after I got like, heavy into sublime um like you know i i just mentioned how i loved bush i loved veruca salt um i even i loved counting crows too i was super into counting crows in like fifth or uh, like fifth grade 10 years old maybe and that was all rock and roll but I, it didn't like my world wasn't changed until i heard sublime like they completely changed my life and I didn't, I wasn't interested really in playing music or playing an instrument before I got really into Sublime. Um, my uh, uncle taught guitar lessons out of his home and I was like, oh, I can get Uncle Skip to teach me how to play Sublime songs on the, on the guitar. Um, and so, yeah, I started, my parents bought me a guitar for Christmas. They bought me a PV Raptor. It was like, an all all inclusive kit from Daddy's Junkie Music, and um, Daddy's Junkie amp. Music. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have those in, in uh, Canada probably, but no, I think it was a pretty like regional New England chain okay. of music stores, which no longer exists. I don't. I think they're all gone at this point. Guitar Center, but, um, them, I guess, or yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I started going to Uncle Skip and um, I remember learning Alice in Chains, No Excuses, uh, which is like the easiest song in the entire world. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I wanted to, to learn Santeria. And so I brought in like the, the tabs and the lyrics and everything. And he was like, OK, I'll learn this. Come back next week and I'll teach you. I came back next back the next week and he was like, yeah, so um, these uh, lyrics are kind of violent. <laughs> He's like, you sure this is like your favorite band in the world? I was like 11 years old. Like, what? I don't know. I didn't give it much thought, really. The lyric, like, I'm going to slap my Heine down or whatever. Yeah. I just thought it was fucking awesome. Yeah, it's weird how, like, what becomes hit songs when you actually look at the lyrics of some of these hit songs. You're like, wow, that <laughs> that's wild that got yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think it was mostly censored. I, I remember a lot of words being cut out of Santeria on the radio. Mm. So I probably just, I probably just glossed right over it, but I don't know. 
I was thinking about Say It Ain't So just now, um, thinking about how like, I never really realized the first lyrics of that song. He's talking about like a Heineken, a cold Heineken in the icebox. Oh yeah. We never like, yeah. I n- never tapped into that before, but yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, I've done some deep dive on Weezer lyrics because they may, they mentioned wrestling in a couple songs. So I was always like, I wonder if they make more references to wrestling, but no, there's only the one. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. Are you a big wrestler wrestling fan? Uh, I I have been in more recent times, but not as much these days. Uh, You know, my kids can't get it. I couldn't get my kids into it. I failed in terms of like getting them excited about it. And, uh, you know, Uh so I'm now trying to get myself excited about Minecraft for them because that's definitely their wrestling. (laughs) But I don't have really the time to follow it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I had to give up on my. Maybe honor. when they're older. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I think that, I think <laughs> I've also learned from the punk thing that, uh, uh, you know, like there's a certain level of rebellion that comes from like not liking what your parents like, and yeah, they my youngest child told me that punk sucked, and uh, really meant it. <laughs> it was very. Oh, damn, <laughs> so, that hurts. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, they're going to be into what they're into and stuff like that. Yeah. It's so weird Sublime having those hits because they're like a real unlikely band to kind of break through. But they're another band like we're talking about Green Day and, and and all that stuff where them breaking through was like a huge getting on point for people. And I think more so in the States than in Canada, because I don't think we had once again, we have slightly different radio up here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think it was just one of those uh, cultural moments that was really special and very. Um, very like pure and then uh people tried to capitalize on it um like uh my new album cool that came out recently was produced by gordon Raphael, um and he is an old like seattle head and just has tons of stories from being in seattle in the 90s like he like almost joined nirvana i mean almost he says he said he almost joined the band but he yeah he'll tell you that like in the 90s in Seattle after Nirvana got huge, um, A&R guys from record labels would just walk the streets. And like, if you were a dude, if you were like a white dude wearing a flannel shirt on the street, they would just go up to you and be like, hey, are you in a band? Like, do you play guitar? Do you want to like get signed? Can you and learn? Like, that's Yeah, that's the way it was. So I feel like it kind of was like that too. Um, when those, those like, third wave ska bands started coming out and like i don't know i don't really know who exactly the first one would have been i guess it maybe was sublime and they kind of like sublime right yeah i mean i can't really think of who else it would have been i guess rancid had a couple like uh you know kind of crossovery songs by that point too yeah but and then it's like goldfinger and then uh real big fish and and all the other you know I guess yep. no doubt being the biggest yep. band out of that wave. Yeah, all the Orange County bands. Like mm-hmm. that that's kind of where it all started from and that's that was exactly my trajectory too. I feel like uh any any like ska tinged music from Orange County at that point in time was like destined to just have a, a, at least a little bit of fame. Mhm. Yeah, like I guess once you get a, a sound and the radio can pick up on it, you're just like all those clones. You're looking for the I'm Mother Earth, Our Lady Peace uh, sound kind of connection. Yeah, 
exactly. It happens all the time. So what about your own journey? Like from, you know, you started playing Sublime, learning these Sublime songs, learning uh, Alice in Chains. Where'd you kind of go for music stuff? Did you form a band <laughs> or are you just like learning songs on the side? Um, yeah, I mean, I did form a band with just like my friends, like my two best friends. We eventually formed a band in high school. Um, and yeah, I guess after I heard Sublime, got really, really into music. I I was into music like my whole life, but it wasn't until I heard Sublime that I got really, really into music and started playing guitar. And I was like, I knew that music was going to be what I would do with my life. Mm-hmm. Like I realized music was going to be like my life. Um, so you knew then you were going you uh, to play music. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you, you yeah. knew from that point that you, you were going to be playing music for the rest of your life. Yeah, I really, I always wanted to be a singer hmm. um, from the time I was like able to to talk. I always wanted to be a singer and I was always writing songs even when I was like five years old. Um, so I guess, yeah, it was always kind of like on the back burner, but yeah, it wasn't until I guess puberty that I was like, yeah, this is, this is actually what I'm going to do for real. And I was like, I'm going to go to college for it and I'm going to learn guitar and I'm going to be in a band and I'm going to be a rock star. Like my mind was made up from that point on. That's awesome. I, like I've, I've never felt that kind of like insuredness with music, I guess, cause I, I don't play. So to me, it always feels like eh, it's going to go away at any second now. <laughs> the rock's going to disappear. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a phase. Well, yeah, I mean, looking back, yeah, and if I knew then what I know now. <laughs> but um, I think that's true for all of us, no matter how we got into it. If we knew yeah. then what we know now, it might be a slightly different path. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all I can do is keep trying. Like, I, I also kind of feel like at any moment, it's just like, or, or maybe not at any moment, um, but yeah, I feel like, uh, okay, well, maybe it's time to just like start looking for a job. Like maybe yeah. I should get my resume together just in case, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I started, uh, I always like to keep one at the go, you know, just in case. Yeah. Just like, well, you never know That's what's going to happen. You know, we have to submit something. Yeah, I mean, my my problem is that I have no skills or experience because all I ever Same. wanted to do was be a fucking rock star. So I kind of don't really have anything to fall back on. If I if I did sit down and try to like write a, a resume recently, and I was just like, fuck. I guess I just got to keep playing music then because <laughs> the, the die has been cast. Yeah. God damn you, Sublime. God damn it, Sublime. But no regrets. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, that's the thing. It's just. Yeah. It's you look at these people and you you look at their lives that they were leading at the time, and then it, it just it, you're like, well, you know what? It could be could be worse. You know, it could be I could be having to battle some other things while I'm dealing with this thing. I don't know. I just I, I doing this show. I realize now, like I I'm very grateful for the way things are compared to some people I talk to in bands where it's it it seems like it was a tougher road to kind of get up. And some yeah. Yeah, obviously it's good and bad. You take the good with the bad. I wouldn't want to, I mean, yeah, I think it it took a lot more work or it could have taken a lot more work back in the day to like actually get noticed, but it was also, I don't know, maybe more rewarding, but who knows? 
the grass is always greener. Well, I think the one thing that's great about now is it's like you can kind of carve your own path a little bit more. Like we're talking about all these groups and like the only way you'd hear about a group back then is because they broke it through somehow and wound up on MTV or Much Music or K-Rock or something. Yeah. But now it feels like there's you can build your own lane and you don't have to rely on these narrow paths that are so hard to get up and get yeah. to. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why. Um, yeah, I, I feel super grateful, too. Um, and I, I agree with uh, that, that um, you have to just like carve your own path. And I think that's good. Um, I feel like that's kind of like what I've been coming to terms with over the past couple of years, because um, kind of been forced to just like really take stock of everything. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I have never had a manager. I've never had a booking agent. You know, I've like pretty much done everything all by myself. And sometimes I do lament the fact that I'm not like huge and playing in like big rock clubs and like making tons of money and have tons of fans and stuff like that. Cause that's, that was kind of like how I always envisioned it as a kid. Um, but uh, I got to do it my way, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain, I guess that being able to do it completely your way does come with a certain price. Um, but I like at this point, I'm like happy to pay that price. Yeah. I've respected you for so long because you do right down to your merch, you know, you're like as DIY as musicians get like, that's the coolest thing about what punk was to me is that it just was like, it made being DIY not, something that you were like did until something better came along it made diy something you did by choice and and that is the most powerful thing that kind of extends way beyond you know the four chords and the aggro lyrics and all that kind of stuff yeah totally totally um yeah and i think like just getting back into touring and actually like living the life now after basically just waiting for the past two, three years. Um, I definitely have realized that like, I don't think I can do it any other way at this point. Like I'm, I'm DIY till I die. <laughs> the tie has been cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who were the, like, when was the first time you were exposed to that way of doing things like that? You know, like they, I guess like, I don't want to say DIY is an aesthetic, but almost like DIY is a philosophy. I mean, I started going to to like local shows when I was probably, I guess, in ninth grade. That's when they kind of started popping up and I was in high school. So I kind of like had finally found my identity, I guess, at that point. Like it was like pretty solidified um, and started just hearing about local shows. I had friends that went to other high schools that were a lot bigger than mine. Um, and they would have shows like, yeah, just local bands, like doing shit themselves, putting on shows at like the Elks Lodge or the American Legion, or just like on the Westford Academy football field. Um, that was actually my first like DIY show was on a high school football field. I've never heard um, of a high school football field show. That's the yeah, first, that was the, the first one. The first and last for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and yeah, it was amazing. Um, but that was kind of like my introduction. It was like a bunch of kids from the area that had bands and they had invited like Big D and the kids table, I think played and maybe Drexel. Um, and uh, yeah, they like, we're like, we're doing our own thing, but we're going to invite these bigger bands from the area that we enjoy and respect and admire to come and just like have a fucking awesome time here did on the football kids, field. Did a lot of kids show up? Yeah. Yeah. Did the field get fucked up? Did the, did the field get fucked up? Did the field get fucked up? <laughs> um, I don't know. There was a lot of skanking going on. <laughs> I do remember that. So there could have been some treads. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the 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 field but i think it was fine that's like the end of an awesome teen movie that never happened where (laughs) you see the evil coach looking on as the ska kids finally skank his field to death yeah (laughs) god damn it oh you i'll get you next time rudy and the rude kids yeah i don't know for the most part i think it was extremely positive and uh yeah that was my foray and then after that, I was just like hooked and me and my friends would just go to local shows all the time. What was your first punk show period? Like, you know, you mentioned that Bush X show, but like after that. Um, I think that was it. I think it was that the one on the football field. Uh, or let me think. I'm trying to. I have like very few memories of my childhood in general, but there's a couple of things that stand out. I just don't remember like the timeline, mm-hmm. but uh, so Bush was in 1996. I know that for sure. And then I think I, I obviously never got to see Sublime. I think, I don't think I even saw Blink-182 until after Enema of the State came out. Um, I think the first time I saw them was at the WBCN River Rave, uh, which must've been in like 1999. And so it's possible that that came first um, before the football field show, but I'm not sure. They were, yeah, like, they were pretty close, pretty close together time-wise. Yeah. It's, it's funny how like all that stuff begins to blur together. Like I find that's why I want to do this podcast. Just help keep my own timeline straight. Yeah. Good call. Cause like, I'm trying to remember when, is Enema of the State, that's the, is Dude Ranch before Enema of the State? No, Dude Ranch is, is before yeah. Enema of the State. Okay. Yeah. 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 Dude Ranch came out in like 96, 97, I think 97. Um, and then Enema came out probably in 99 then, because I think I was in ninth grade. Um, so it, I think it all, it all kind of um, happened at the same time, pretty much. Yeah, like I remember, it's funny because like when Tom was on the show, like I was talking to him, it's like, yeah, they didn't really fit in anywhere until they signed to a major label. Like they weren't, you know, like their touring was so weird. Like I remember they came up here a bunch of times. I was thinking about it. They played one time like at a random skate park here that I don't think ever had shows before or after. And it's just like, here's Blink-182 freshly signed to a major label. Yeah. With no opener (laughs) playing at a skate park. That's awesome. Did you go? Yeah, yeah. It was like. A very uh very weird show i was a huge fan on the on that first record like they i think they were big in canada before they were big in america because they had done snow jam here which was our winter warp tour and yeah 
they they were the hits of Snow Jam. So you would see kids walking around, and then DBS, who were a big Canadian punk band at the time, would wear their sweatshirts all the time. So, at least in my world, they were like famous right out of the back, right out of the gate. Like yeah. You know, that's awesome because I feel like uh like you know I'm from Massachusetts growing up in the northeast I feel like it took a little bit longer for stuff to get to me um but I don't know I was probably just too much of a idiot to like I don't know I wasn't I wasn't like a super cool well I'm also a couple years older right so I'm a few years older than you so I think that's the other thing like you know it's, it's those like you know those things happening like i think they also played i don't know they played the warp tour too around that time but like once again i'm getting my timelines confused too did you ever go yeah. to the warp tour oh yeah i went to a couple back in my heyday uh maybe like three or four um yeah i went to see uh no effects which um i think i'm gonna go see them in september actually too, and I'm pretty excited about that. But uh I remember no effects. Um RX Bandits I saw on one warp tour. Uh like probably like Pennywise or something. Yep, definitely. I, I'm not a Pennywise fan. I just want to state that for the record. But um <laughs> You didn't get on stage and sing bro him? Like, no, 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 no. Definitely not. I don't even remember like really seeing that many bands at Warp Tour. I just remember it being a huge fucking mess and just being hot and like thirsty and wandering around and being dirty. Yeah, that's the experience. Yeah, getting yeah. sunstroke. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> paying too much for a bottle of water. It yeah, was, I uh... think I saw some Forty One one time too, like when they first came out. But yeah. So where were you hearing about most of these bands? Was it on MTV or is there a good radio station back then that's playing stuff or? Um, so I did find out about stuff from MTV. Like MTV is how I, I found out about Blink-182. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to like, I had to search high and low to figure out what that band was who had the video that I saw on MTV. Cause I probably saw just like the middle of it or something. I don't know. I didn't see the title card somehow i was like oh that song was really good like how am i gonna figure out just and then i did just like by word of mouth in my school or something um but yeah i would find out i would um i would watch 120 minutes a lot i would like go to bed set my alarm for whatever time 120 minutes came on which was probably like 10 p.m or something but i was like oh it's so late i gotta i gotta go to bed um and uh yeah we had some we had some really good radio stations in boston back in the day too we had wbcn which is gone we had uh wfnx which is gone fnx was the best they would play a lot of like local bands and stuff too um and then even waf which is the only the last man standing um that's how i heard sublime which is kind of weird because they they would play a lot of the like butt rock shit, like Static X and like Puddle of Mud and shit. But um, for some reason they played What I Got a lot when it came out and that's when I first heard it. But um, yeah, I would find a lot of good bands and music through listening to the radio too. Who are some of the local bands? You know, you mentioned Big D and the Kids Table and Drexler, but who are some of the other local bands you liked? 
Oh man, there were a lot. Um, there was kicked in the head. I mean, Big D and the kids table had their fork in hand label that I actually interned for when I was in high school. Oh, really? um, so just like any, anyone that was like affiliated with them or friends with them, I would listen to, um, I loved the explosion. That mm-hmm. was probably like my favorite, my favorite Boston band. I mean, me and my best friend would go see them all the time and they were definitely the most punk, like the most like legit punk. Um, and I would still listen to flash, 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 like any day of the week. Big D and the kids table does not hold up. Um, not, not quite as well. Uh, but uh, let's see. It's funny there with the explosion. A... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean K off. Yeah, no, 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 no. I was just gonna say uh for a couple of minutes. <laughs> it was funny with the uh, the explosion because you know it's almost like that's like a cautionary tale. Because I think if they hadn't signed to the major label, it things would have been different. Because they 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 had some really good songs, like you're saying, and it's just like yeah. they got once they got signed to that major label, they kind of got it seems like lost in that post strokes search for the next the band. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I I kind of wonder sometimes, like, what could have been, um, and obviously it could have gone either way. But yeah, they. I don't know. I mean, they had already been a band for so long. Mm. Like when they did finally get signed, and they had gone through a lot of like lineup changes and stuff. Um, I feel like they were just sick of like the grind, and they were like, "Okay, this is our last chance to just like." make some watered down music that hopefully appeals to the masses and it just like didn't really work well i think what you're saying is also like the uh the benefit of doing it yourself and and you don't have to listen to anybody and you don't really have you don't have people like you know obviously you listen to people you trust and things like that but you mean you don't really have like business interest people you know Mm -hmm. getting involved when i imagine you're on a major label that is something that a lot of hands in the pie yeah yeah, which I I fucking hate. I don't like any hands. Get the hands away. No hands. Um, yeah, but I haven't really checked in with the explosion. I don't even know if they're still doing anything. Um, I think it broke up. I, I actually okay. reconnected with I reconnected with Damien recently from the explosion oh, on, okay. on Instagram and stuff. And I don't think I, it didn't look like he was doing music right now. But I'll fix that yeah. in the intro if he is. I'll double check. Okay, sure. I think I I think I follow Million Dollar Matt maybe but um i don't know though yeah i haven't really just like heard anything from from them but um i think like yeah it's a cautionary tale but what matters is what you do after Mm because like when i i think about a band like jeff the brotherhood who like did shit themselves had their own label and everything like for years and years and then they signed to warner put out an amazing album didn't do well got dropped immediately but then they just like went right back to doing their thing. They're still doing it like to this day. They just like never stopped. So one of the most underrated bands. That band is so fucking sick. Yeah, they're one of my favorite bands for sure. I mm-hmm. love them. Mm-hmm. We went on tour with them and uh, just like going out and watching them. It's just like, wow, talk about like talented, like people that grew up like a different level of connection because they grew up, you know, I guess doing that. Well, you know, them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just so fun to watch them play and stuff but yeah like super underrated band really Um, talented really humble and just like kind good people yeah but i think that with the explosion it was definitely like you were saying earlier about that post seattle uh you know orange county kind of thing where people were just looking for the next the band and there's a lot of them 
like i go back there's so many great like the star spangled there's so many great bands that get signed to major labels during that period that put out pretty great records or or at least records with a couple really great songs on them and we're just lost in that shuffle for every i guess strokes and white stripes there's there's many other bands <laughs> there's many von bondies and, and explosions. Oh, yeah yeah totally was that an influence on you for wanting to do stuff diy like is that watching that kind of stuff happen to other artists and watching you know like kind of experiences with dealing with major labels or is that just something that hasn't come around and, and that's what influenced the way you you do things um i don't i don't really know i i wouldn't say so i don't think i don't think anything really ever had as much of an influence on me as necessity just needing and like having to do everything myself because I had no choice mm. like when I first started doing Colleen Green I did everything myself because I didn't know anybody I didn't have any friends and I'm not like the most outgoing person um don't tell anybody but I'm kind of shy I'm kind of like reserved um especially when I first started playing music and making music on my own I I would never have it took me years to share with people with other people um I don't trust anybody. So like, just like reaching out to random people in LA, especially in LA of all places, like that was just not gonna happen. And um, when I first started calling Green, I had no money. Uh, I would just, yeah, everything I did had to just be because that was what was at my fingertips. Um, there was just like no other option. So yeah. Going back to that band that you started in high school with some friends, did you play shows? Yeah. Where were some of the shows you played? What were some of the shows yeah, we like played? Yeah, where, like where were you playing? Like what kind of bands were you playing with? What was what did the band oh, even man. sound like? I don't even want to. Oh, God. Don't make me. <laughs> I don't want to even talk about it. But um, yeah, we would just play at like, like the, the like teen center. Um, like we would play at... Uh, the the Elks Lodge or mm -hmm. the the town hall and like stuff like that. We didn't really ever play anywhere too real. There was um. What do you think the Elks Lodge isn't real? That was like uh, it's that's like one of my favorite venues. Oh no, I'm sorry. No disrespect to the Elks Lodge. <laughs> um, in terms of like a real venue. Sorry, sorry. No, I know. I totally. I totally. Can we edit that out. <laughs> no. <laughs> no just that was the place we played like i think our first three times going to boston so oh really <laughs> yeah where, which where oh the um democracy center i guess the uh, i guess yeah in cambridge yeah 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 okay yeah that's yeah that's uh, that's a pretty diy spot um and we definitely played there a few times yeah. <laughs> back in those days um we played there was like an all-ages club in nashua new hampshire mm called drifters that was owned by this like heavy christian guy that's name was christian um on brand and, uh, yeah a little too on the nose guys but um yeah we would play there sometimes it was awful uh other than that yeah we would pretty much just play it like i don't know the, the ymca and like yeah elks and stuff like that did you uh, plan to record with this band or did you want to tour with this band or is it just something fun to do in high school? Because like, as you say, you've got this kind of mission 
at this point. Yeah, we tried. I mean, we we knew Steve Foot from Big D and the Kids Table. He was like our boss, pretty much. Um, and he would record bands in his basement in Boston. And so he he actually did record us. Hmm. Um, so we made a couple of little recordings. Um, they were terrible. Uh, and yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish those recordings upon anybody's ears, but, um, yeah, we like, I mean, we didn't really tour. We would go play in like New Hampshire or, um, I don't know. That's probably as far as we ventured, but yeah, mostly just local stuff and just having fun. So when did you move out to LA? I moved to LA in 2009. Okay. So were you doing bands before or doing do music out there before Colleen Green, before you started the, the, the project, as you said? Yeah, I actually moved to California with a band. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was in a, a band called The Have Mercies. Um, we were, we were kind of trying to like ride that 2008 wave of like the garage surf punk thing, whatever that was. Um, and yeah, we moved to Oakland from Boston. We were playing in Boston and we decided to move to Oakland together um, and live there for almost a year. And then I moved to LA by myself after mm. that. And was that to do music when you moved down to LA? If you're gonna... um, No, I actually, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease like eight months after moving to Oakland. And uh, that was, that was the impetus for me moving to LA. Like I never wanted to move to LA. I was like, I moved to Oakland cause like we're going to be punks and like be fucking degenerates and I'm too cool for LA. You know, I, like <laughs> LA sucks. Like Goldfinger has a song about how much LA sucks and whatever. Um, that third wave sky but, influence still rings heavy yeah. on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It made me into the badass I am today. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I moved down there because I was, I was having problems. Like I was having major, I was like in a crisis and, uh, my, my older brother was living in LA. Um, and he basically like saved me. Like he opened his doors to me. I lived in his apartment, um, for the next few years and, uh, just tried to like get my shit together basically. Was, uh, when you were in Oakland, what was the scene that was kind of, you were playing in at that point? Is it like, I'm trying to think of some of the bands that would have been around there in, at that point in Oakland. Like who were some of the local bands there? Yeah, it was like No Bunny, Shannon mm -hmm. and the Clams. Oh yeah. Um, we would play a lot with a band called the Dashing Sons and another band called the Pentacles. Okay. Um, and let's see who else was there. Those were, those are the ones that I can really remember. It's pretty good, like pretty Shannon, good bands, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shannon and the Clams, I think, was the first band that I saw when I moved to Oakland. I remember we went to see them in San Francisco at the Knockout. Hmm. And, uh, like, when we first, first got there. And, um, yeah, I remember just being like, wow, this is my new life. Like, this band is so cool. Like, Shannon's so cute. I was, like, I was just, like, blown away. It's funny too, because that was um there's such like a, a garage rock tradition in Oakland. 
of bands, like from the trash women to like, you know, present day, it feels like there's, it's been like a constant sort of thing there the whole way through is this like garage rock scene. Yeah. It really is. Like, go on, sorry. I don't really know what's going on up there at this point. I, yeah, like I said, I only lived there for eight months, so I was kind of in and out, but. Uh, when you get down to LA, is it the smell, is the smell kind of really happening at that point? Or like, what are some of the, the venues like? What, like what inspired you to start doing music? Um, I, I, I just like always knew that I was going to do music. I just never, it never occurred to me that I could make music without a band. Hmm. Um, I always just assumed that I needed a band. Um, cause that's what you do. You know, if you want to be like a rock and roller, you get a band. Um, so yeah, it just like never really occurred to me. But then when I moved to LA, I had a drum machine that I had bought at like, I bought from some guy in Boston for 30 to $30. Um, and so I had that as kind of just more of like a toy, but, uh, I never really used it until I moved to LA. And when I got down there, I just, I was kind of like, this is it. It's now or never. Uh, and I just really like put my nose to the grindstone and whipped out the drum machine and decided I'm going to learn this thing. going to learn how to use it um, and learn how to make music with it. Cause I didn't know anybody in LA. Um, I didn't have any friends. I only knew my brother. So, but I knew that I needed to keep making music. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I did. And I, I started playing around with that and started making recordings and um, that's when it kind of clicked that I was like, oh, no, I can totally do this by myself. And I also, yeah, I kind of had to. Yeah, I find also L.A. is like a weird place that once you start doing something, there seems to be like it, it's it, it's easier to find momentum than in a lot of places. Yeah. Well, I don't know. This is an outsider perspective, <laughs> but it seems like a thing that like, you know, trying to do a one person band in other cities, it would be it would be harder to, I guess, than LA, but I don't know. Like, A, I've never been in a one-person band. B, I've never lived in LA, so you would know far yeah. better than I on both accounts. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I kind of, I I didn't have any friends in LA for, like, two or three years. Mm. Like, zero. Um, so it didn't really get going for me in LA until I had lived there for a few years. I, I started making my music. I made a tape. Um, I made a... A, like CD EP to go with that tape. And then I immediately started touring. Like I moved to LA pretty much in January. I recorded all my stuff. And then I started touring in March of that same year. On a tape so, and a CDR? Yeah. That would have been, a, imagine a, a, a learning experience tour. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was in more ways than one. It was, a, it was an awesome tour. It was, uh, it was very DIY, very punk. Is it if just you by yourself in the in type thing? Uh, I was with my friend Kayla and um, we were, we were like loosely touring with this band called the big, big bucks from Boston that were our friends, but they had a vehicle and we did not. So, um, but I just was like, this is what I have to do. Like, that's how you do it. You just like tore your ass off. If you have music to distribute, I just knew that would be the best way to get my music into people's hands. Um, and so, 
yeah, we uh, we took Craigslist ride shares. We took buses. Um, we like Wait, you, got you did, rides. You did like a that's like in a, a Craigslist rideshare bus tour. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, it was wild. It was very wild. Yeah, it was intense. But uh, we did it. We went, we got all the way from LA to Boston. That's incredible. Yeah. Did you miss shows ever, or was it always able to be made? Um, we missed a couple shows in like the like Chattanooga, Atlanta, like zone. Yeah. Um, we were in Austin, and our tour mates, the Big Big Bucks, were driving to that zone to play some shows. And obviously, we really wanted to go. Um, I think we were we had met this guy on Craigslist that had offered us a ride, but he. He just kept trying to get us to go to the electric daisy carnival with him. That's like weird. as like a detour. Like he was like, okay, okay, I'll bring you to Chattanooga. But hear me out. We're going to the uh, EDC first. And we were just like, what? No, like, what are you talking about? This is no, we don't want to go there. So that ride didn't work out. And then I think like by that time it was just it was just too late. And we ended up missing those, those uh those shows in, in the South, but we made every other show. That's amazing. That's the most DIY shit I've ever heard. Like that is <laughs> wild. Like I've, I've, I can't imagine the, well, I guess it's your first tour, but like now to think about that as someone who's toured a lot, the anxiety that would not just be playing the show, but how to get to the show every day would be just unbearable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really fun. It was an extremely memorable experience. Um, despite the copious amounts of weed we were smoking. Um, that probably traveling? helped with the anxiety, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> were you traveling with weed? Oh, yeah. That, Always. Yeah. In those days. Yeah. <laughs> in those days. In those days. In not, the past. not anymore. I don't yeah. write dirty anymore. But, yeah, in those days. Yeah, for sure. Did, and I, I write in an interview. Did you smoke weed when you were younger? Or did you come to it kind of like, you know, around this time more? Um, I I dabbled, but I became a full-on stoner when I got my first apartment. Mm. So I was about 21, I think, when I became like full on. Yeah. I yeah. didn't I didn't start till I was 30. So a lot, you know, I I, I feel like I uh I missed out on a lot of, of good times, but you know. Yeah, but <laughs> you probably preserved it. yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> but you probably <laughs> preserved so many brain cells. Like sometimes when somebody asks me a question, I'm just like, what? Like I feel like I destroyed my brain like at a formative time um and sometimes i wish i could get those that back but um yeah i don't know i'm chilling though i i I, because i was straighted for so long i always constantly reflect and i'm like is this the weed doing this or was i like this before i started smoking weed and i'm like no i was like this before i started smoking weed so i'm like okay okay. i I can't blame the cannabis for this problem yeah no i mean and it's I don't know. I mean, I don't know who the fuck knows what we were smoking in those days. You know, like now it's like down to a science, but in those days you never really knew know what you were going to get. A, cu- a couple, you get a little bit of flashbacks when you tour Europe and stuff like that in time to time. And there's certain places I've been in the United States where it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is what it was like in the before time with cannabis. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause like, yeah, like I feel like it came in just as it was transitioning to what it is now, which is like, 
getting fairly standardized at this point and, and kind of heading towards a more, like you're saying, a safer, safer bet when you're hitting up a random person about weed. Yeah. Yeah. It can get, you know, it's organic now and you can see which farm it came from and all that type of shit. We didn't have that. And there's dabs. Oof. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on. Oh, no, I can't. I, I just don't like going from like zero to a hundred in like one second. You know, I like to kind of <laughs> like, I'd, I'd much rather ease into it. So no dabs are not for me. So you're more drip coffee than espresso kind of guy. <laughs> uh, unless I'm in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So dabs in Colorado only is what you're saying. I get it. I totally get it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got a lot of references to the descendants. When was the first time you kind of uh, heard about them or, you know, became aware of, of them and, are, and what kind of influence do they have on you? Um, I first heard the descendants on a punk O-Rama compilation. Um, which my friend had gotten from buying a pair of Vans, I believe. I don't don't think we even got it at the Warp Tour. But um, yeah, it was Punko Rama 2.1. And uh, I wish I still had it. Um, I'm, I sold all of my CDs when I moved to California. And um, there's so many CDs that I really, really wish I still had. And that's definitely one of them. Um, but uh, yeah, that compilation had Coffee Mug by The Descendants on it which is a later era of descendants that i don't like it's not my fave um but yeah that was my first introduction to them and uh i think after that um i started getting more into like the deeper punk bands and i think we had i think we might have had napster at that point Mm. we definitely had the internet at that point so it was easier to like seek out and find new bands um and yeah, that, that compilation is just so good. There's so many good songs and so many good bands on it. Um, Poison Ideas yeah, on that I, one too, right? I think. Poison Ideas. Well, they might've been on 2.0, but okay. 2.1, it was like a tad different. It had like a couple of slightly different songs. Poison Idea is definitely not on it. Okay. Um, it had like no effects, whatever DD wants, which like blew me away. And that's, I think that's how I really got into no effects. Um which is funny because that's like such a like, like a, it's such a gentle song for them. But um, it had no, yeah. it had a De- Descendants coffee mug. It had Bad Religion. Um, it had Thought Control by DFL. Yes. Uh, it had um, Bobby and Joe by Hepcat. Um, uh, let's see what else is on there. The Humpers mutate with me. <laughs> great band, great song. Yeah, um, there was an unwritten law song. I can't remember the title. Um, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great compilation. And yeah, I I, I listened to Milo goes to college after that at some point, um, and I was like blown away by it, um, and. Uh, yeah, I just remember listening to it a lot and just really liked it. And then I got into I Don't Want to Grow Up. Um, and yeah, I don't know. They're a band that I think like, you know, and same with No Effects too. They've got like, you know, so many different types of songs. And as much as there's a song like Coffee Mug, 
there's songs like bikeage or something too which is like they kind of have a uh you know like a lot more of an emotional kind of range and i think no effects and there's you know a lot of people have leveled critiques at them over the years for different things but like there are so many different types of songs and like as much as there's like whatever dd wants there's like louise and there's all it's <laughs> like everything in between with no effects too yeah yeah um and i think i didn't realize it took me a while to realize that those were pop bands Mm. um because I think like before that yeah I was really into like um Goldfinger and Real Big Fish and like um the Aquabats and stuff like that that were like very very poppy um and it kind of just didn't like I was like oh that's real punk though like no effects the descendants so it took me a little bit longer to get really into those bands Mm. Um, but once I did, I, I realized that like, like Milo goes to college is like so poppy. Every song on that album, like is rife with hooks. So it's a weird record though. Cause like almost like side a is like a different album or could be a different band than side B like side B's were all like the real, like mellow melancholy kind of like you know, like the mixtape staples type songs are inside a's got a lot more of like the, hmm. you know, more kind of straight up kind of punk songs or more aggressive yeah. songs. I never thought about it that way. It must maybe Frank wrote side a. Yeah. Like I've all, I've somebody always, else wrote side B. Yeah. I used to have a CD where like they gave all the credits on the label, but now I listen to it on, actually I should go back and check the credits. Cause maybe it's the same way on the vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I mean, I listened to it on a burned CD for mm-hmm. years and years mm-hmm. i don't even know how it came into my possession but that's how i was always listening to it so i don't think i ever discerned between a side a and side b but that's an interesting point yeah i think it's you know and, I'm, and i've asked them about it and they didn't heed anything to it they're like i don't know what you're talking about type vibe yeah. but but for me i've always been like oh it's so weird how it's how it breaks down like that but you know i think yeah, i never noticed they're like a band also that you know like their last record had some of my favorite songs by them ever you know oh, really they, yeah they just continue to be able to write descendants songs where it never feels like oh they've lost the touch or something yeah i think they're they're definitely one of the more unique bands they always had a, a really unique style and voice that i just kind of like really like identified with i guess mm-hmm. and just their their whole like i mean yeah i think that's why i have been so inspired by them um they had kind of like like they were a punk band and they were rough around the edges but they also were really sentimental in a lot of ways and i think that's a lot of my favorite bands that's kind of a quality that i've gravitated towards Mm -hmm. yeah i'm looking for a sense of melancholy with my uh with my melody you know oh yeah they kind of have that perfectly dialed in for me yeah yeah a a minor quality I, i like to call it yeah that's a great way to put it uh this has been great and yeah anytime you want to come back on your calling you know the door is always open thank you that's that's um it's such an honor yeah thanks so much for having me thank you colleen for coming on the show and have a great tour and come back soon as you're right there colleen will be back for a part two at some point in the near future all right oh and check out all those dates check out all those dates uh as mentioned before i'm not going to awkwardly try and read through them again 
because you can just rewind and hear them off the top or check it out on your phone. Hardly Art for Cool as well. Fantastic album. One of my faves from uh, recent years. All right. Coming up on the next episode of the show, let's keep that green theme going. No relation. Uh, I'm fairly assured of that uh, between these two guests. But coming up on the next episode of the show, from the band Panthers, from the band Orchid, from the band Violent Headache, the legend, one of the, this is a, a, a dynamite episode and one of the first in-person episodes I've gotten to do. I think it's the first in-person episode I've gotten to do in, in years, <laughs> literally years. Jason Green will be on the show and this is a doozy. This goes all over the place. Jason is the connective tissue between uh, Hatebreed and LCD sound system. And then also invented Screamo, and I also lump him, uh, burden him with helping invent hipster hardcore. But we talk about all this on the next episode. Listen to it. I think you will really enjoy it. And that is it for today's episode. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different races and different nationalities and different beliefs because we aren't talking about political stuff here. We're just talking about basic human rights. People have the right to be free and the right to live their lives without fear of hate and discrimination. What a what a perfect world it would be if we could eradicate all this stuff. So um, there are organizations that are right now fighting the good fight and doing great things. And if you are so inclined, look into organizations that are doing things in the spaces of causes you believe in and then find a way to get involved if you can. Donate money, donate time, donate, uh, I don't know, there's, there's lots of things you can do to get involved. Uh, speaking of getting involved, punk, punk demands that you get involved. If you're older, it doesn't mean you can't get involved now. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast. Don't start a podcast. Well, you can do it. Um, just, uh, but just do it. Try and make culture, try and make something, create something. It doesn't have to be for other people to see. Just do it for yourself. Do it yourself and do it for yourself. There we go. It's a new DFY. Uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you're not going to need them anymore. You're just going to be whew, off to another place, wherever that is, whatever that is. But you're not going to need your organs for that. And they can give a miracle of life to someone else. So, you know. Uh, and uh, what else? Oh, we're, we're getting a little heavy here. So try meditation. If you're someone who struggles with mental health issues like myself, try meditating. It can, uh, it can really help. And what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work and you don't have to worry about it again. You know, I didn't think it was going to work. I find it works for me. You got to remember to do it. You got to make yourself do it. It takes effort to do that. But, uh, it, it does work when I do it. It definitely does. This podcast remains a podcast firmly in the support 
of what people want to do with their reproductive systems, having the freedom to do what they want to do with them. And it's very late. I'm very tired. That's a very awkward way of saying that this podcast remains a, uh, a pro-abortion podcast. We're definitely in favor of people having the rights to have abortions. Full stop. That is it. As I say, it is very late. I'm going to go off to bed. When you're listening to it, it might be early. And in which case, I'm, I'm sorry if you're tired and I'm bringing up being tired. But we're all tired. We're all tired. Stay safe. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Check out Colleen Green on tour.